Every single telemarketer calls you during dinner. <laughs> we don't do that. If we do, we can't be friends anymore. But uh, you've seen The Wolf of Wall Street and Boiler Room and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Prime Gig, such amazing speakers. I mean, such talent. Not every vertical sells stock or high-end real estate. There are some incredible individuals out there that make and receive phone calls and do it ethically. And they really are artists of speech. They really have honed their crafts and they believe in it like myself. I, I always believe that you pack more of a punch you know, through voice communication than just omni-channel non-voice of chat and email support, so. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Expert. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Richard Blank, and uh, Richard First of all, his last name is Blank. I'm not just saying that it's, or it was a Blank. His last name is Blank. So always had, always want to make sure I catch that. Um, but uh, Richard, we're going to be talking about a few things, which include uh, COVID, which is starting to hopefully wane, but also the introduction of working from home and how you can, uh, or how you deal with uh, company culture and whether or not it can be done when you're working from home. And then also, uh, and uh, talking a little bit about how you use Red Eric and delivery and word choice as part of your business and how that can be an impactful, um, you know, kind of being an artist of words, so to speak. Um, and then maybe a little bit, we'll talk about uh, KPIs or key performance index for call centers and uh, how you can, uh, or, or how people are getting lazy with speech in a digital world and uh, probably several other things from there. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Richard. Hey, Devin, so happy to be back on my second podcast with you, the Inventive Expert. I cannot wait to share ideas with you and your amazing audience. Hey, absolutely. And excited to have you back on. And just as a quick uh, reminder for the audience, so Richard was a guest on the sister podcast, The Inventive Journey. So if you have, if you want to go and hear a little bit about more about Richard's journey and how he got to where he's at today, definitely go to check out that episode. But for those that haven't had a, a chance to check out their, that episode or saying, hey, I just want the condensed or short version of a much longer journey, give or introduce yourself a bit to the audience. Sure, of course. I'm the CEO of Costa Rica's call center. We're a nearshore bilingual dedicated center here located in Costa Rica. I'm originally from Philadelphia and my story really began at 27 years old when I had a one in a million opportunity to move abroad and work in my friend's call center. I learned it from the inside and out. In my mid thirties, I threw my hat in the ring, started my own company. I'm sitting on a 300 seat capacity call center and we're about to celebrate our 15th year in business. Well, that's exciting and a, a great introduction. So now with that, that with that much as an introduction, maybe kind of diving into the, the topics at hand. Um, you know, one of the things that I think that both employers and employees are both grappling with in, a, in kind of different forms or formats is the idea of working from home. And one is 
how or if or how you can successfully work from home and i you know i i probably shifted uh different different or different views over the the course of my career even i worked from home for several years um well before working from home was in vogue um but uh, it does introduce kind of that different dynamic or variable so i guess the first question is is can you successfully work from home and kind of what are the bounds or the limitations from it and how do you deal with the the cultural aspect of or company culture and kind of how do you or set things up to work from home or can you well there's a sweet and a sour to it i was very fortunate that my industry was versatile enough to have people work from home compared to a brick and mortar that did not have a choice so i was able to i guess survive covid and adapt accordingly now uh, let's look at the challenging side to it in my industry, I believe in synergy. There is a lot of energy that is going on at a call center that you can feed off of. And so we're a very social environment. Attrition gets reduced when you work with a best friend, when you're doing live coaching and quality assurance, I believe that it sinks in a little bit faster than if you're doing it on your own. And there are certain things that you can pick up from other agents that you incorporate in your own life, socially and professionally. And I believe that those things were taken away from me. It's almost like working out at home compared to going to the gym. There is a huge difference there. Mm. And I myself, besides hiring specialists in the IT department, we hired attorneys, of course we needed that. And also engineers and my accountants. Really my forte was walking the rows and doing training, motivation and certain sort of self-reliance and self-confidence structure that I was able to onboard and build these agents. And Devin, I'll be forthright with you. I believe that most of that was taken away from me. Mm. And as much as you believe that a coach, a teacher or a mentor may or may not have influence, I believe it could be essential in getting the best out of somebody and having them get to different levels. And so I'm very grateful for the fact that it didn't put me out of business. But then again, it changed my business so much where instead of being a painting, now I'm a print, you know, as, as I can only really have up to 50% of the people at my call center, we chose 20%. So 80% of the people that I used to see every day, like if I see them a couple of times a year and mm. say whatever you want, as much as I can open channels of communication and give them positive reinforcements, there's a huge difference between that sort of retention and relationship building. But, um, you know, the best thing that I can do is to at least be attentive and when I can jump on a Zoom call so I can tease them what's in their background or just smile and let them know I'm still thinking about them. No, and so let me ask, because I've kind of shifted and, and I'll give you my thoughts. I mean, so there's a bit of back and forth that is over my career. So for a portion of my career started out just working in a normal office. Um, I shifted to primarily working from home um, for several years, just to, or for another employer. Um, and then I started my own firm and I kind of reverted back to wanting people in the office and having that synergy and bouncing ideas off of it. And then, you know, I've then now since then shifted mostly to independent contractors that are set it or change our setup and and done or done most of it working from home, not entirely, but for the most part. But each phase has kind of been different. I used to rail against working from home, and then I figured out how we can make it work in our environment and 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 keep it going. And so, kind of, how do you deal with it? Because I I agree. I think there is a lot of times something that's lost. If you're depending on the industry and the business, 
there's something lost when you're not able to collaborate, bounce ideas, see something face to face. There's just not a replacement for Zoom, or Zoom does not replace a face to face sitting down, throwing jokes off the walls, people paying attention, you know, all those things. And so, is it better just to simply put down a rule, no working from home, or can you do it, or kind of what are some guidelines or thoughts? It's a seller's market, my friend. And so, as much as you want to force somebody to come into the office, they may quit. And they might find another place that offers other options for them. It depends. It really take it by case by case basis. I'd love to work with you. I'm sure that even if you had a HQ, it would still be a very professional and fun environment. Plus, it'd be fun to have lunch with you all the time. I mean, you're a great guy. Sure. But really, it, it depends on your scalability, how you want to grow. I myself, if I have to hire hundreds and 50% of them say I will only work from home, and you realize that these are individuals that can put the puck in the net, I might just want to meet them in the middle, maybe anything or nothing, Devin, why don't you just come in for a week or two weeks so we can do the training, I can give you a computer, at least know you, and then I'll let you go home. And so you depend on what you want to do. I don't know if you want to bend someone to break them. And it, it's not as easy as it was before. But when there are people that have to travel an hour to get to my office in an hour home. And that's a good day on the bus without traffic or an mm. accident. It's because there weren't a lot of jobs in, in their hometown or the Pueblo that paid as much as going into the city. And so if this individual, let's just look at it this way. They've been with me for years and earned their stripes. It's not trusting them, it's, it's giving back and knowing that saving them two hours, 10 hours a week minimum to, for gasoline or time with their family, knowing that I can get as much, if not more production out of them because they're grateful for that. The only thing I'm missing is them <laughs> and that's it. But mm. um, no, my friend, and you and I know perfectly well that if you can get the individual that's willing to leave something on the table, come into the office for the code red or for the serious meeting or just to see you, and those are the individuals that I believe will be growing with the company. I, I don't know how many positions you have that need that individual. It could be a handful. But if you're just looking at your core group of people, you'll find them. But if you're looking of, once again, in these independents, dozens, if not hundreds, then take it as you can get it. And, and then maybe by creating something in your environment, which not just offering them cookies and coffee to come in, but having some sort of interaction that has to be done there to enhance the rapport, the bonding, or that just on-site experience, then it does make sense for them to come in and um, you know, maybe get them out of their house a little bit. The mm. one thing that I hear that most people say is, hey, it's great to see people. I never see anybody. Well, if anything of nothing, why don't you just practice those social skills and just do a high five or a hug to someone that you haven't seen in a while? And um, putting business aside, I, I think those are the sort of things that might give you some mileage and distance. No, and I, th I think that's a fair point. I mean, I, I think it's a hard one. And I think that that's why everybody's grappling with it. Cause I think that it, I, if I were to play, and I guess I always play devil's advocate as an attorney, but you know, I think that the worry or concern is, is a couple. One is if you have a strong culture, which is based around, people being in the office, it is hard to replicate that when every or when a large portion is dispersed. In other words, if you have com camaraderie, hey, we get on the whiteboard, we write things down, we figure things out. Hey, I have a question, I'll just pop my head into the office. 
you, it's a much different thing when you're having to set up a Zoom meeting. And even if you do Slack and some of those other, it just doesn't feel the same, at least for me. But I think the other thing that uh, the employers are often nervous about is, you know, whether or not you're going to get that productivity. In other words, and all, you know, without calling on the person's name, I always have to laugh because I read a LinkedIn post about, you know, somebody, their, their intent was is to highlight the merits of working from home. And they say, you know how great it is. I, I sleep in later. I will get up. I'll have breakfast with my wife. We'll go on a walk and then I'll go into work for a couple hours. And then I go and do I ride on my bike and exercise. And then I'll work a couple more hours. And I usually knock off early to go play golf. And, you know, to that one, you know, that individual saying this is life is great. And I love working from home. And yet a lot of the employers I know are saying, it sounds like he's working for four hours a day and I'm paying him for eight hours a day. And, you know, how is this fair? And I'm not getting the productivity. And so I think that people are trying to figure out how do I keep the culture and also how do I keep productivity up? Any thoughts on that or how you might deal with that? It's the worst is to keep score and to do tit for tat. It's almost like the commissioned artist. Sure, they'll produce some artwork for you, but when they're not being paid and they're not on a time constraint, they'll do well. Mm. I used to have a professor in college that would allow you to take more than class time if you wanted it. You didn't need 15 minutes if you wanted to spend two, three hours there. As long as you're not cheating, uh, you could take your time and write your composition. And I thought that was fascinating because just by reducing that sort of pressure, I did better. But let's talk about your golfing friend that works four hours a day. Is he your top producer? He's not mine. I'll just put it. I'll put it as in Is the he your ace? Yeah. Is he the man? Because there are perks that come with that. If somebody that puts in 40 hours a week can't match what this guy's doing in 20, say what you want to say. There are people out there that are just incredible scratch golfers. Mm-hmm. And, and so I am willing to, as, lo as long as they are giving what the company wants and they're not cancers to the company and they're not producing bad habits in others, then I believe that I can work with somebody like that. But if you're talking about an extra $10 an hour that you paid somebody to be on the clock for you when he's producing you 400 before noontime, leave him alone. <laughs> Those are the sort of things you have to put yourself in their shoes. But um, I, I, once again, don't believe that keeping score is a smart thing because they'll throw it back at you if they are producing. No, and I definitely agree. And so, but now I'm going to push back and I just think it's a fun conversation. So don't really feel like I'm pushing back to argue more of just, I always, or it's a great, I think a great point of people, a lot of are grappling with it. So now if you're to take, you know, the call center industry, you know, one of the things, and you can correct me wrong, so I'm by far not an expert, but with call centers is, as far as I'm aware, you have to have people there and available to actually take the calls. In other words, the worst thing, at least from my end of call centers, or when I'm trying to get customer service or anything else, is when you call and there isn't anybody there, right? So if I'm calling customer service, nobody picks up, nobody's there, I have to go through a dial tree and then it tells me it'll call me back in two hours and then it really calls me back the next day, which has happened. Or vice versa, if you're saying, hey, we need, we're doing a call center, we're doing outbound calls and we need to have, you know, people, you know, kind of butts in the seat, so to speak, or people actually making the calls in order and having those conversations. Either way, it does seem like you do have to have, it is not an hour's game, but you do have to have those hours there that people are available to do the work and so how do you balance like that one seems like it's one where as great a producer as you are, if you're only there for hours and the job requirements are such that you need those hours, that still is kind of, or for some industries address or still incites kind of those concerns by a lot of employers. 
Excellent point you brought up, Council. Now, in <laughs> order for the people here to receive their full benefits, they need to put in 40 hours a week. Your four-hour golfing body, he might be an outbound prospector. Fine, let him work on commission-based or performance-based projects and still pay the taxes on it. God bless that individual. Now you're talking about workforce management, staffing accordingly. It is the responsibility of the client to make sure that people are there, depending on the talk time. If it's not that uh, extensive of a phone call, more of a glorified answering service, and it's sporadic in regards to the volume that comes in, my suggestion would be to do a paper call, paper minute blended center mm. that can always have an overstaff of agents that can handle the basics. But if you're looking at intake coordination, trying to bring on clients for a law firm, these individuals require a lot more extensive training and dedication. So you may want to have these dedicated structured agents there for specific business hours like I do at my center. If there is an overflow, sure, you can have the, uh, the answering service for the call back. So it really just all depends. And I agree with you, the worst thing somebody wants is to be in some IVR doing a lot of waiting in a queue. It's only gonna heighten your anxiety and get you to start cursing and yelling at people. And so I think if somebody can structure that sort of uh, support, or at least they're speaking to somebody live and making progress, that will do a lot for your, uh, you and your clients. No, and I, I think that uh, that's probably that where I've come to the conclusion. That's why I kind of vacillated back and forth is because I think that it, it, it is situational dependent. In other words, you point out, hey, if this is a person that's a top performer and for their job position, they only need to work four hours a day or they, you know, their four hours is more valuable than some of my other employees, eight hours, then you're going to put up with, you know, you're not put up with it, but you're going to be accommodating of it. And yet vice versa. If on the other hand, you're saying, no, I need these out hours because it is a intensive process where they need to be doing something and it can't just be four hours a week or four hours a day because we just it doesn't lend itself to that position that's where i think it seems to be where employers are starting to figure out is what are the positions that can be reasonably done work from home you know the performance is still there what are the positions that need to be in the office or need to have the hours and how do you figure that out and it still seems like people are figuring that out and evolving and it's also to your point as before it's a matter of are people, is there enough to employment demand or is there enough in or job demand? And a lot of times you, you adapt with what you have to, or with what you have available within your industry. That's why we've been able to grow because we have such a good skill set here in a labor force that if somebody finds that frustration or challenge, they're mm -hmm. not beholden. So they can give us a half a dozen seats to handle their inbound or outbound calls for them. So we can offset any sort of challenges that they may have so they can focus on other areas of their business. No, I think that that's a, a great point. So, well, let's shift gears a bit and I could go on for that all the time. And, you know, the interesting thing is if you'd asked me two years ago, I probably would have preached and I'll, I'll give the insight. So we use a lot of independent contractors and for me, and as I said, a situational spe or specific, I always used to look at attorneys as, hey, I know how many hours generally a project is going to take. And if you just don't put in the hours, your work product's not just not going to be that good. And so there was always a fear that they go work from home. One, they're going to miss a whole bunch of deadlines, which I can't have because there's a lot of critical deadlines and clients are going to be unhappy that it's taken so long. And two, they're going to be not going to be efficient enough to get things done within the timeframes they need to. So I always used to preach against that. And where we ended up shifting it was we just moved it to 
hey, it is a paid for performance. In other words, you pay for the project. When you get it done, you will get paid. And if you want to be less efficient, you still have your deadlines you have to meet. But if you want to go out, take a day off, go golf or whatever, then I don't have to worry about it because you're, you're getting paid by the end, or end product, not by the number of hours you put into it. So it seems like that's kind of how we figured it out. But it was over a course of a lot of time and, and trying things that didn't work and trying incentive plans and other things. Mm -hmm. With that said, now shifting gears. So one of the other things that I think it, that you'd brought up and we talked a little bit about before, which is also a, an interesting point is, you know, within any industry, and I'm sure in the call center industry specific, you have words matter. And I would say that, you know, I'm in an industry where words really matter the legal industry and particularly with patents and trademarks, you have to get the word specific and you have to look at the rhetoric and the delivery and the word choice. So how do you go about learning that skill or figuring that out or kind of why do words matter? That's a great question. I, my major in college was public speaking rhetoric and nonverbal communication also was a Spanish major. So I'm a linguist and I know that it can open doors and it can assist you in regards to your message delivery. You know this, especially winning your big court cases. And so I try and I succeed and knowing that the agents, what they're doing, by learning a second language is 10 times harder than any project I'll put them on. So that's number one. Second, by speaking a second language shows cognitive skills, structure and discipline. I will expand on their vocabulary by using the thesaurus because I believe similes can give you a positive or negative reinforcement. For an example, switching words like help and using assist guide and lend a hand. We like to ask for clarification, for edification. There are certain soft skills where we've learned to fall on certain swords because when we show active listening, it reduces any sort of tension and people realize that we are engaged in the conversation. I believe military alphabet is a very big arsenal for you because you might be, I guess, embarrassed or concerned by pronouncing somebody's name or you might think that you understand how they spell their email address. That's the worst thing is to have something kicked back. And so there is nothing wrong with breaking down somebody's exotic and unique name. And it's something that shows respect. And mm -hmm. secondly, if you are going to be showing uh, some sort of accuracy and structure, you should send your email through the first time that doesn't bounce back. And also, I believe that when you're speaking with individuals that will be working with the decision maker or part of the program, they deserve positive escalations. You should do it verbally and in writing. Just an assistant, a secretary, a gatekeeper, someone you got transferred to in the mailroom by accident, mention these individuals. Why? Because there's a very good chance when you call that company back or that family back, you may be speaking with that individual or prior to any sort of contract, it, it shows the respect that you have working with them. Mm. These are the old school skills that I grew up with. And so, sure, I could discuss with you more advanced telemarketing and when to land the rebuttals, when to use the name drops and the pronouns and how to ask open-ended questions when you're giving a long list of items. But really it's just more about uh, being attentive and asking a follow-up question or remembering an anniversary or somebody's promotion, a grandchild's name or a dog's name, because that can really get somebody to relax and readjust their tone on the phone with you. Because 
let's say there is elevation and somebody may be frustrated on a tone. I believe in a buffer boomerang technique where you can buffer that negative tone by doing a name drop. Letting you know, Devin, that's an excellent question. Repeating the question for active listening and mm. then sending it back to you in a positive way. So there are many different techniques to adjust tones. And then finally, there are some tell signs that individuals give to you. It could be someone you've spoken to a hundred times or a first time call. I believe that you should be analyzing their rate and their pitch on how they speak, not their tone, because that's my consistent variable. I should always be confident and empathetic. But if an individual spikes in regards to how loud or how fast they speak, backing it up by an answering speed, I believe that's just the perfect times to interject and ask for a clarifying or rebuttal or tie down question. And so these are certain things where there's no crosstalk, there's no interruption, there's a very good back and forth, there's a flow. And really what you're doing is giving your client the direction to open up more and to speak with you guiding them with specific strategic and tactful questions. You will be reducing talk time. Chances are these individuals will be referring your business to individuals and talking about you. Or if worst case scenario, giving you an exit interview and telling you what you could have done differently or what your competition has done in order to earn their business. So as long as you and your clients are willing to see this as an investment in a process, keep an open mind and put your egos aside, there's no reason why those skills could not be advanced to the point of where these conversations are flawless and effortless. And you'll realize that you'll be converting a lot more calls into clients. No, I think that that uh, definitely makes uh, perfect sense. One question is, so, you know, there are some people that are just naturally good orders or naturally good at com being conversationalists or whatever you want to call it, where they can just hold a conversation. You know, a lot of those skills just come naturally. Hey, I, ref you know, I reflect what you, the, what you just stated so that I, I can make sure I understand it. I repeat sure. it back to you. I use, you know, or colloquial terms that make it so it's more personable. I establish a, you know, a relationship of trust. And there are others that, you know, I in background is I did engineering and most engineers are not good communicators. They're very good problem solvers, not very good communicators. And I hopefully found a balance between both. But I think, you know, other people, it just is a difficult thing. They can solve problem solve very well, but they're not good communicators or at least not naturally. So is that something where whatever industry, including the call center, but even in general, is that something that can be reasonably taught or is it something that, hey, if they don't have it, you should move on to someone that has that more natural ability? It's just like everything else, dedicated practice. You studied your law, people study golf, medicine, musical instruments, drawing. And it's the one thing that we use all day, every day. And most people can be lazy about their speech. And so if you can record yourself, which thankfully we have the technology today, you should really listen to yourself. And most people say, hey, Devin, I just don't like how I sound. Well, that's what you got, champ. <laughs> and so I think that maybe these individuals should practice their timing, their tone, their speaking levels, how fast they're speaking. I mentioned the word choice, or potentially they should be studying certain areas. Let's say they see Al Pacino doing a scent of a woman's speech. Maybe they should take certain excerpts of that or transitional sentences from that and practice it. I mean, these individuals that you work with, these attorneys and engineers, they're geniuses. Geniuses, they're brilliant. There's no reason why 
they can't properly deliver their message. Here's the thing, it's not sincere, it's choppy, it's forced. It's not saying that they don't care about it and they don't have good intentions. They're just, it, there's no muscle memory to that on um, having to stand up and give the presentation. Or if they're, scientists are fascinating because they love when their ideas are challenged and, and they respect the other colleagues that they have, like these chess masters, instead of competing, really what they wanna do is get into these groups and outthink and out question one another. And they, they do it with such good faith so they can only get better. And so if these individuals learn to ask follow-up questions or to take their time, and allowing someone to speak first, and there's nothing wrong with not being engaged, just write down everything that the other individual did. And then when they're finished, you can go through point by point, not wanting you to act like somebody else, but there is some sort of courtesy you could have. And there are some sort of ways in which you can not feel pushed in a corner or dominating the conversation. And if these individuals are planning on really speaking for others, growing and making tens of millions of dollars, this may be expected of them. I heard something interesting that when you become a general in the military, that they send you to a certain school for public speaking and relationship building. Of course, you're gonna be at dinners and you're gonna be meeting with individuals. Mm -hmm. And these brilliant minds should find that medium where their action causes a very good reaction. And all they need to do is dedicated practice and analyze their speech because self-analysis is for self-improvement. And they'll know when they're interrupting or speaking too fast, or they just didn't like how they sound. And it's very simple. After a couple of weeks, it becomes habit. And that would be my only suggestion for these individuals that really took the tough way. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, the 99% of the, the, the real challenge they're able to pull off and the 1% is just the delivery. Put some garnish on it, make it nice. That's all you need to do. Put some extra cheese on it. You'll do just fine. No, I think that's that's some uh, great insight and great takeaways. So we're starting to, to wrap towards the end of the episode and a lot more things that I could ask. But there is one that I just kind of was uh, interested in that I, I thought it would be before we wrap up with the final question that I would ask on, which is, you know, one of your kind of KPIs for call centers and key performance indicators, basically whether or not you're, you know, you're doing a good job or a bad job, whether you're an employer, employee, and, you know, kind of how you rank, but those performance indicators, you know, and I think that the difficulty or, or sometimes when you look at KPIs, because you have kind of the attention, right? So call centers, at least some people view by it is a numbers game where you have so many calls coming in, you need to get through the call as quickly as you can so that you can get the next call so you don't have a long wait time. Because if you have a long wait time, people get frustrated that they have a simple question or they're needing help and they're having to wait forever. And yet by the same token, if you rush through the thing, you really don't help them and you're not really that or, or able to assist them, then they're also frustrated. So it's kind of those or tension between need to get it done as quickly as you can while also addressing their issue and making them feel like they're taken care of. So how do you kind of balance those or different uh, performance indicators with a call center? First is it's workforce management. You have to staff accordingly. Secondly, I know the KPIs that they judge on is, is first call resolution, handle time, talk time, wrap up time, you name it. But why pressure someone to take 100 calls a day when he's doing 89? which means that he's speaking to less people, longer talk time, but his conversion ratio is more. And as I mentioned, if it takes three more minutes 
for you, Devin, to put your dog outside because it's barking in the background and you're excusing yourself and I'm being very patient, that's three minutes. And that could happen a couple of times a day, which could ruin your KPIs. Should I rush Devin or should I have the dog in the background ruining the call? And so I, I don't want someone to overextend those times or take advantage of it, but there is a sweet spot. And especially in your industry, sir, you are dealing with individuals that might be going through the best or the worst day of their life. And you need to take that into consideration and show some empathy because someone might need to get it out or give an example of what happened at their last attorney or what they're expecting from an attorney. So there's no misguided expectations there. Mm. And I believe in Wu Wei, when you force a fit, it just doesn't feel right. You know, you're, you're squeezing into a shoe. But there are other times when things flow so well that instead of me speaking to someone two or three times, which could add up to 30 minutes, my eight minute conversation could save myself that additional 22 minutes because I did things the right way. Mm. And I just don't want you to start looking at those sort of numbers. My friend, every single phone call is unique. It's one at a time and they should be treated accordingly. So not only do they give you the business, they talk about the business and you're gonna have them for decades. And so if you're talking about the rushing on the phone, well, then hire three more people. What happens if we overstaff? Well, then listen to some recordings or do things in between phone calls to get them warmed up for when somebody does come in. Or potentially if things are even slow and I'm transferring a phone call to you, Devin, mm -hmm. then why don't I do a warm transfer, stay on the line because there's no calls coming in yet for another six minutes. And why don't I put myself in mute and listen to my main man take the call from there and start answering questions. Or I might learn something from you that I can use to move the ball forward on my calls. And a lot of my clients love to do that when we have additional time because we've overstaffed to allow the people to do a warm transfer and stay on for a while to learn what, what the first team is doing. And um, those are just ways that you could be very flexible with your crew and still handle all the calls coming in. No, and I, I I completely agree, and it, it's always and I'm you're right in our in or my industry, and I don't get most of the time I don't get the I usually get the excited or good calls ninety five percent of the time just because I'm in have to be an intellectual property, so I'm not dealing with divorce or I'm not dealing with bankruptcy or I'm not dealing with criminal matters, and so and I chose that by design because I don't want to I don't want that to be the mainstay of my life for those I'm having to deal with those issues on a frequent basis, but there is that people you know usually in my industry it's more people have questions they want. To to understand things they want to get an air a better familiarity with the topic because they may know that they want a patent or trademark but don't really know what it is and mm -hmm. so you always are looking to balance and if i try and rush you and just give them the quick answer and they walk away and they still don't really understand they're not going to become a client and i'm going to lose that or that time anyway and if i'd spend a few more time or a few more minutes and a little bit more time they may or helping them to walk through and understand it they may convert into a client but vice versa if i do that with every call and i take an hour you know offer 15 minute consults but every consult really takes an hour i'm eating into a lot of my other time that i'd be doing other things so i i, I agree that i think there's that that balance where you have to be understanding that some calls require that extra time and yet you can't or set it up to where every call is the exception to the rule otherwise there is no longer a rule so i think that that's some great insight Kevin, if you are not giving your big brother best friend advice, my friend, you are way out of character. Mm. That's you. 
I mean, you're brilliant and I know your law firm and everything else you do, but you, it's Devin is why I'm moving forward with you. Sure. And prior to jumping on podcasts, when you and I just talk about life and share ideas and catch up, it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's who you are. And I believe that that is the special sauce because there's a thousand attorneys to choose and a thousand call centers, but they choose us and they know that we have their best interests in hand. We always pick up the phone. We're willing to be straight shooters, call the balls and the strikes, but we can do it with a certain flair and style and, and comfort levels that make the experience much easier for people. And so, um, as I say before, it's almost like a doctor that has bedside manner. Yes, you did choose a certain type of law, which is less stressful, but you're still talking about people that are banking on millions in their dreams. And you're the no. bridge that's getting them there. And so it's, it's very exciting. To be no, working I'm, with I'm completely with you. And I, and, and to your point, you know, it's always interesting that the, there's a lot of lawyers out there within my industry and lawyers in general, and most people hate them. And there's a reason why they hate them. But I do think that the, my experience, a lot of times when you're looking at the best lawyers, it's oftentimes mm -hmm. the ones that have those or people skills that are willing to listen to be able to sit down with them to understand what they're going through, be able to give them that strategy and make them feel comfortable it's, it's most of the time the successful lawyers aren't just the ones that know the law the best. It's all those other skills that come into play. And you're right. It is the one-on-one -on -one relationship you establish, not just taking care of their legal matter. So well, we could talk for a much longer time. It'd be a great conversation. And people are saying, oh, this is supposed to be a half an hour podcast. And this is going to go for an hour. So we'll have to have you back on. I'd love to have an, a follow-on conversation on um, an, 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 a future episode. But for, for today, as we wrap up the episode, I always like to wrap up with the, the same last question. So we'll jump to that now, which is within your industry, what is the biggest myth and why is it wrong? That every single telemarketer calls you during dinner. <laughs> we don't do that. If we do, we can't be friends anymore. But uh, you've seen the Wolf of Wall Street and Boiler Room and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Prime Gig, such amazing speakers. I mean, such talent. Not every vertical sells stock or high-end real estate. There are some incredible individuals out there that make and receive phone calls and do it ethically. And they really are artists of speech. They really have honed their crafts and they believe in it like myself. I, I always believe that you pack more of a punch, you know, through voice communication than just omni-channel non-voice of chat and email support. So. No, and I think that there is, you know, there is, there are those that do call during dinner and I usually, I'll usually either do one of two things. I'll usually either hang up with them or if I have some time, I'll usually toy with them, which I'm sure you, or that makes you cringe. But I just like, I just say, if they're interrupting me during the time, they know I don't want to talk with them. I usually nice. And if they keep trying to talk with me, then I, I string them along. But I think that there is, a, that's a great myth to dispel. And I think that for the, those that are doing it well and understand it is one of those where you're not calling in the, or during dinner and you really are trying to solve a problem rather than just trying to um, get or get money out of people. So I think that's a, a great point and a great myth to dispel. Well, as people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? I think they should buy a first class plane ticket and fly down here and come visit <laughs> me for a little bit and hang out at the center, but they can shoot me an email or give me a call. I got a toll free number. And, but I also have a very large Facebook fan page about 101,000 local Costa Rican Ticos. It will give your audience a real insight in the pulse of the business process outsourcing industry 
in Costa Rica. We are north of Panama, south of Nicaragua, the only democratic society in Central America, no standing army, put our money back into education, 95% literacy rate. We have a neutral English accent, the best infrastructure, and people love our ecotourism. And so it's a wonderful place to be. You definitely get thousands of new fans every time I put our episodes up there. And uh, as I say before, I cannot thank you enough Devin, for having me back as a guest. I enjoy your work. You're a good man. And uh, I really look forward to continuing to watch what you do. Awesome. Well, thank you for the kind words and definitely encourage people to reach out, connect up or connect up on Facebook, fly down there and he'll still put you up and or, or treat you to a great time or any you're in between. And so with that, as we now wrap up the episode, thank you again for coming on the, the podcast. Now, for all of you listeners, if you can help us to share this expertise with expertise with all the startups and the small businesses out there, just go to the or go and click subscribe, leave us a review, and, uh, and, and make sure to click share. It really helps to be able to share this great expertise with all the businesses out there. And with that, if you ever need help with your patents, your trademarks, or anything else with your startup or your small business, just reach out to us at Miller IP Law by going to strategymeeting.com. Well, thank you again, Richard, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last.